Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Folks, basketball is very good. It's very good to be back. My name is Jay Kyle Mann. This is Upside High, and it's good to be back. It's 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 a nice surprise to be back with one of the sharpest minds across the basketball landscape, Mr. John Charks. John, how you doing, man? What's going on? Give us an update. Well, I don't know how sharp I am anymore. I've been, as I was telling you before, I've been off the internet. I've been living my own. My takes have gotten weirder. <laughs> There's been no one to refine my takes. I've just gone off the deep end. So obviously, are you like cabin in the woods, long beard, like you're like mailing packages to people type of type of takes? Or what are we what are we talking? How weird are we well, getting? This is my first time online in like three weeks, just like doing getting ready for this pod. So I've I've missed the sh- the wit, the sharpening cut of, you know, the online mobs to get up keep me in line. That's what you're here for. I was for. gonna say your intellect is uh, is sharp as don't touch it. You know, it's like you're you're gonna. It, it's like the the what is it? The shards of Narsil from Lord of the Rings. It's still sharp. You know, stay sharp. But you're digitally off the line, offline. What uh, and and you, uh, you your Mavs are doing really well. I know you you've been going to the games and things like that. But well, well, let's before we get to any of that, tell us tell us what's going on. I mean, because we we had a conversation recently where uh, you were feeling like you weren't going to be able to commit as much attention or that you probably shouldn't commit as much attention to it. Just kind of give us, give us an update. Cause people are curious They ask me all the time. Where, where are you right now? Yeah. So basically um, I've been, the new chemo I'm on is working better than I thought within the doctor's thought. So that's been great. But ultimately like that's just, it's just giving me a runway. I'm in some experimental trials and ultimately those are going to sink or swim me. And it's way too early to know what's going to happen. But really, man, I just miss doing this. And it's like, I kind of in my head thought, oh, I wouldn't have the time or I wouldn't want to. But I guess I'm just a basketball nerd at heart. I mean, we basically did this pod the other day. We were just talking. Remember, we were after the lottery. Like, well, I might as well just do this. Like, we're already doing it anyways. And I think what, what it really comes down to for me, man, like, no matter how much time you have, like... There's always time to do things you love. And I just love doing this stuff. 
and I want to do it as long as I can. And I'm really grateful for the chance to do it. And so I want to talk draft. I want to talk chat. Let's just do it, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I, th- I thought we do that a lot whenever we have phone conversations. I know we'll be just like, well, that was a podcast. It just, we'll, <laughs> just fun conversations always every single time. But I think something you said, too, is just, um, I guess, do you f- do you feel yourself like thinking about like what's worth your time? You know, I know we, we had a conversation. We talked about this a little bit the other day. Is that has that been on your mind? Like, you just do you just miss the silliness of basketball? What what is it specifically that you miss about it? Well, I mean, I just I something I find interesting. It keeps my mind off stuff. I mean, it's something you can't be like you know focused on the serious stuff all the time. You need a break. Right. You always need you know need your hobbies, need your distractions. I mean, there's definitely some of that. Like during the combine, I was like, I turned it on. I'm like. I don't need to know who the 45th best player in this draft is. Like, I, I'll be okay. <laughs> so there's there's definitely <laughs> yeah. that element to it. But, you know, the stuff at the top of the draft is just so fascinating. Like, I love it. And I was like, let's just do it. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, I mean, you've been – I want to check in on – get your status update on your Mavs. Uh, you went to the game last night. Are you feeling good? You feeling like uh, is this – or was this a Golden State threw us a bone because they want to beat us at home type situation? What's going on with the Mavs? So yeah, recording after game four, um, it did feel like that a little bit. I mean, definitely the people Matt and Mavs world, everyone's like, oh man, this series could be 2-2 right now. And I was just thinking if if last night they were not up 3-0, they would have approached that game very differently. So I don't think you can go that far. I don't think the teams are that far apart, but man, going into Golden State down 3-1 for a game five, that's going to require some heavy lifting to come out of it. For sure. I mean, I've, I've always been looking at this whole playoff run, like get to the next home game just because I've loved that sort of thing, man. It is so much fun. You got to go. You got to see you were at, was it game five against Utah? Yeah. Yeah. Quiet an environment in there, man. It was, it was loud. It's just fun, man. Like it's a whole different experience being at these home playoff games. So I've just been loving that. I've been just like, all right, get to the next one. Do I think there'll be a game six? I hope so. I think it's possible, but I'm not counting on it. That's for sure. Well, let's keep the hope alive. Let's uh, let's let's hope that the Mavs can make this an interesting series. And I know our, our producer Ben Cruz, uh, it would be at his expense. He's going to be upset if if his dubs go down. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So I mean, uh, since we've talked, some things have changed. The you know we were kind of speculating about the top of this draft for a while. Um, the top three guys. And the the order has come out now, so now we know we know who is going to be at the top of this draft and where they're going to be picking, and and that has sort of launched us into conversations about who should pick who because the top three guys will talk more about like if that's ironclad or not. But now we have you know we have the Orlando Magic getting the number one pick. They've had an interesting history with the number one pick. They got Dwight Howard no four. They got Shaq in ninety two. They got they traded the Chris Webber pick in ninety three, which was a pretty fascinating story. If anybody ever wants to go read about that, um, but then you got OKC at two. You got the Rockets at three. The Kings at four. The Pistons fell to five. How 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 damning is that for the Pistons? Do you think? I mean, I think it's always like everyone wants to get that number one pick or to move up to the top three or four. I mean. It's just so important. Like, this is everything. Like, what do they say? It's better to be lucky than good. There's always, there's that famous line, uh, Napoleon, when he was evaluating his generals. It's like, should I promote this guy? At one point he goes, well, how lucky is he? Right? Like, at the end of the day, 
skill only gets you so far. Luck is like the biggest thing, and you've got to get lucky in the lottery or lucky what in the team. Lucky? Well, what does lucky even mean in this context? Because we were talking about the number one pick going back, you know, 10 years in the last 10 drafts. Uh, we were saying that, you know, the, the best prospect doesn't always go number one, you know, in in the 2021. I, we, we differ a little bit on this one. In 2021, Cade went first. You're still pretty strong that Mobley is the is the top prospect in 2021. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking at it before this pod. It's kind of jumps out at you. You look at all these top drafts and there's so often, I mean, I think like 2020 Ant-Man's great, but I would take LaMelo over him. I mean, I think you it's sure? probably... I've kind of moved a little bit on that. I don't know. I, do you think LaMelo, I think LaMelo is going to have to go through a whole time of like defensive. People are going to go at him in the playoffs. I think defensively he's fun right now. I'm just curious to see him on a playoff team. Zion. I, I still think if Zion was playing, I'd probably take him over Morant. I know Morant uh, is probably going to, if he hears this tweet, that he's taking notes and come find me <laughs> later on in life. Uh, <laughs> Aiton, obviously, Luca was the guy. Fultz went number one. I always I always thought Tatum should have gone number one in 17. Bill and I were talking about the, that the other day. Did you have, did you have Tatum number one in 17? No, I, I was a Tatum hater. That was probably my biggest miss in doing draft coverage. I, didn't, I did not did see you- it with Tatum. Who I was you a false have? guy. I was a false guy. Oh. And that was obviously a huge, a huge L for me. You false that up. And then in 16, uh, Ben Simmons, we, we kind of have talked about, you could go a number of directions there. You could go Jalen Brown. You could go Brandon Ingram. If Ben Simmons is playing and, and um, not having the issues or maybe in a better situation, I could still see the argument for him at one. Cat in 2015, Embiid obviously should have been is in 14. Why do you think we miss on this consistently? And is there a takeaway? That's kind of the question I was asking you. What's the takeaway from that? Why do we keep missing on the number one pick? I just I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I'm still kind of forming this take in my mind, but why the number one overall pick isn't always or often isn't the top player. I think a lot of it is. I think people are a little too safe. I think there's like definitely you don't want to bust. You don't want your Anthony Bennett picks, right? Like if you draft Anthony Bennett, like your career is over as a GM, right? There's a huge element of that to it. I, I, that's, that's the biggest reason. Are you going 2014 and beat had the injury issues. So he falls to three behind Wiggins and Jabari Parker. And it's like, man, what does that matter now? Right? Like, I just think the if you're looking big picture, if we're talking about, okay, how do you win a championship? I think you have to be more aggressive at the top of the draft. You can't let the conventional wisdom box you in. You really have to like, I think like, why do this? I remember talking to an NBA guy about this and I was saying, oh, it's so exciting about Chet because, you know, like he's such a different kind of prospect. It's so new. And he was like, I'd, I'd much rather have certainty at one. And it's like, I understand, right? If we're in this, like, if we're in like butt covering mode, let's keep our jobs, yeah. right? But it's like, man, you get the chance to get the number one overall pick. It's generational. Like Orlando, every, what, 15 years, get the number one overall pick. You're, you're 20 championship, you're one of 30 teams. Like, you got to go for it sometimes, man. You got to just pick who you think is the best. Yeah, and and as that applies to this year's draft, I know that like you're talking about like the safe pick, you know, and and I think I think we could agree that most people would. Well, do you think most people would agree who the safest pick is? I I know that you have a strong opinion. We both are pretty strong on the on the Chet 
the Chet Chariot. The uh, I was trying to think of a name for the bandwagon, <laughs> the the Chariot of Chet. Um, we both kind of feel like he's number one. I don't know that he's necessarily like the person that I would tab as like the consensus safest player. Do you think so? I feel like that's probably Jabari. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Jabari, I, I would agree too. Like he is the safest pick. Like Chet, I think because of the because of his frame, because of you know the long history of tall, skinny guys who've gotten hurt. And that's that's kind of the biggest argument against him, I think, ultimately. So I've been kind of like polling people, scouting world, NBA worlds, trying to understand why Chet is not a more consensus one. And I think that's the fairest argument, is that is this guy going to stay healthy or is he going to end up like poor Zingus or one of these guys who just can't give in his frame? And I think that's a fair argument. And I would say that's like what Jabari has over him. Jabari kind of has a much more classical NBA body. He's got a very defined skill set. It's hard to see a world where Jabari, obviously anybody can get injured, but it's hard to see a world where Jabari is not a 15-year NBA player with a really long productive career. We're just given his skill set, right? Yeah. And I think the differentiator between, but I think the differentiator, and you're talking about like safe thinking, like I, we know the safety of Jabari is something that we've hit on before, which is shooting is a thing that applies to every team. If you it, There's no team in, on planet Earth in this solar system that wouldn't look at a 6'10", I think he's 6'10", I think that's what he measured at, uh, kid that is going to shoot, you know, his he has shooting versatility. Um you know, off spot up, off dribble handoffs and the pick and pop, which we're going to talk about here in a minute as it pertains to some of these teams. Um, he's he's something that's going to work. But I think the question is um, the safety of that weighing it against the upside of a guy that could be the motor of an offense, Paolo. I was going to ask you, how confident are you just in the broad sense that Paolo could do that? Do you do you um, do you have confidence? Honestly, where where are you in the top three? I wanted to ask you that. Also, just do you you have Chet one? Who do you have two? I've got a Chet Paolo Jabari. And to me, just me personally, I think Chet and Paolo are comfortably ahead of Jabari. And I think there's a fair argument for Chet versus Paolo. To me, Jabari is the safer, but also lower ceiling of the other two. I have, I have an easier time seeing Chet and Paolo being your number one option than for Jabari. That's where I come down on it. Let's be specific, though. What 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 are what are the differentiators there for the people that aren't familiar with these players? Um, why why is there a gap there in your mind? I think ultimately it just comes to how do they get offense. So much of Jabari's offense is spotting up off other players. So much of his offense is just raising up and shooting. He's not much of a ball handler. He's not much of a playmaker. And I think there's a sense of oh he'll develop that in time. But it always worries me when you're drafting a guy and you're asking him to change how he is as a player. Because Jabari's game right now is like, look for open shots, take them. And that's mostly from three. I mean, there's like, if you go back and look at his this season, I think I, we were talking about this earlier in one of our last pods. He has the lowest two-point percentage of any player who will be taken in the top five in like the last 10 years. Like he doesn't take a ton of twos. And the ones he takes are often contested. Yeah, what kinds of twos does he take? I think for people, like like saying it again here, like for people who haven't seen him play, I mean, a lot of what he does, like you said, is off the catch. If he does get into the mid-range, he's not doing it off the bounce. I know he'll catch it. He'll catch it like the elbow. 
he'll give you the little like right foot jab step, which, you know, Paolo does a lot of these things too. And Paolo will take the same shots, but the difference is Paolo will, you know, he does kind of spam, like we've choked about the same moves over and over again. But Paolo will give you a little fake go to the rim. Uh, Jabari doesn't really do that. Not much of a middle game. Not You know, he's been... Uh, sort of a, a weaker finisher this year. His field goal percentage at the rim, it's not, t- well, his field goal percentage in the lane, 38.3, not great for a 6'10 guy. Uh, his field goal percentage at the rim, 64.7, but uh, a huge, huge amount of what he does is spot up. Um, also, you know, and talking about differentiators to Chet, Chet, I think, cr- I argued this in a piece I wrote on The Ringer. Um, Which was a great piece his- to check it out. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, appreciate it. Please do, people. Uh, and I just, one thing that I kept saying over and over again, and I kind of concluded the piece with, was range of impact. And I think that that's what a clear thing that Chet has over Paolo and the fact of his like two way ability, which we agree on. I think that he's maybe not a true like park him at the rim, rim protector, but he's somebody that can really. I brought up Andre Kirilenko as somebody, not in this like different body types, um, somebody that can affect. Uh, like affect and sway and kind of dissuade offense at all levels of the floor with his versatility. Um, but just somebody like a Sean Marion, a, an Andre Kirilenko, um, Pau Gasol, somebody I brought up offensively that I think is similar. Although I, you you think that Pau, he could be, I thought this was amazing. You said this to me, you think that Chet could be better than Pau Gasol. That's a hell of a statement, man. Yeah, as this is one of the things we probably, sh- that's why I was like, we should probably pot about this. Cause I've been just, I've been radicalized I've missed all of the internet conversations, like all of the stuff about Chet. I've just been like spiraling further and further into my like pro-Chet propaganda out into like, you know, Lord knows where at this point. I just picture you you falling in like one of those 60s time machines where it's just like Austin Powers, like, ah. You just you've just plunged full on. All, all I'm it, doing though. is seeking out pro chat propaganda at this point because I've got a comp for you. I, I texted you about this. My my Are you about my, to blow chat my mind. Comp. Well, because you're comping him to Marion and Karolinko, and I think that's very. Those are like interesting. Let me hold on. Let me put a pin in that before I'm I'm big on. I'm big on exploring the world outside of one-to-one comps. I've always been big into that because players are contain multitudes, as we know, as people do. And Chet is somebody that is really hard to go one-to-one. So when I say Sean Marion, Kirilenko, what I, I don't mean literally one-to-one. What I mean is like those guys impacted winning in a very broad way. And I expect Chet to be similar. We talked about Hall- like big guy Halliburton, but I think that he's even wider and more broad than Halliburton. Go, go ahead before you. I just didn't want you to pin something on me that, that wasn't fair there. But go ahead with your comment. Sure. Well, <laughs> if, why sure. else even do this pod <laughs> if I can't pin unfair things to you? That's like, that's half the fun. So that's my comment for him is... He's from Minneapolis, and I was thinking, I'm looking at his game, and like, yeah, I see Marion, I see AK. Those guys weren't seven feet tall. When you're talking about a seven-footer with that kind of versatility, all roads lead back to Kevin Garnett, I think. Mm-hmm. Not that Shed is the same kind of athlete, but I look at their games, seven-foot, very lean, great shooters, good passers, high IQ players, very versatile on defense, very long. What was the knock on KG? If there was a knock on KG, which there obviously weren't very many, it was KG doesn't take over games on offense as much as he could. KG always yeah. makes the right play. KG is always, always passing the ball. Great teammate. You plug him in anywhere. 
He may not get 40 points, but it'll get you 20, 25 consistently and impact winning across every other category. And that's kind of where I see Chet winding up is that kind of player. And obviously like KG, okay, he's not as fast as KG, but I think he's so long, he can have a similar kind of impact, if not quite the same level. And here's, I guess, here's my ultimate, here's my like Chet pitch in a nutshell. We're talking about how like, yes, one-to-one comparisons, tricky, always tricky, right? But I think, and I think this, I guess this goes back to what we were talking about in terms of the number one overall pick is often not the best player in the draft. And I think this is actually the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is like the truly great players, the generational talents, the reason that they are that is because they're pushing the game forward in a new direction. That's what makes someone a truly great player, generally. So look at the last 10 years. Steph, Giannis, Luka, uh, LeBron, KD. Of those five, LeBron was the only one that went number one. And I would say the reason those other guys didn't go number one is because there was no direct comparison for them, right? The other, I had, I had this thought, I was listening to one of Jay Kids. I think, I can't remember if it was a post-game or a pre-game. And they're asking him about Luca and like comparisons. And he was like, well, really, look, kind of what you were saying. luca has got some of this. He's got some of that. Got some of this player, but he's his own player. And the very, very best players are always like that. And I think that's what's going on is because the greatest players are new and unique, they're kind of always doubted at the time. Because it's like, well, who is he? What does he do? Is that really going to work in the NBA? But by definition, the very best players are doing new things we haven't seen before. So therefore, we're always going to doubt them. I think that goes hand in hand. And not to say that Chet's going to get this level. Like, I got to be somewhat reasonable here. But I do think in five years, he's the one of these three guys where you're like, well, he doesn't really have many comparisons. He has, like, his coach could say that. Well, he's got some of this, he's got some of that, but he has his own thing. And I think that is ultimately, I think, what makes him so exciting. That's a great pitch. I, th- I think when you go back, this idea of like, I'm thinking about like mistakes we've made at number one. And and what, you, what you're saying is really interesting about like players who foreshadow a paradigm shift or they are just, they are new molds that we haven't seen before and they're going to cause like an emulative like ripple effect in basketball like kevin kevin durant was a huge one which chet was influenced by what's interesting is when you get a guy emulating someone like that in a weird body type a lot of the time these things will happen chet also is a big fan of Giannis. Uh, i've heard him say like the way he gets to the rim if you watch his like footwork and his hands we really haven't had a, a number one pick mistake built on the idea that you're talking about, about like creative thinking. And it's like it, every time we make a mistake like that, it is backward facing thinking. And you could see if you were just like zooming out 30,000 feet and looking at this, how we're talking ourselves into it again. We're just like, we know Jabari is going to be a shooter, which he will be. All these things are still true. You know, uh, it's 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 still true. But Paolo, same kind of thing. We're arguing towards him on the on the premise of, We've seen this. He fits this mold, and sometimes we try to just like shove them into it, whether they're whether they fit that mold or not. I think I think we just are in agreement. The, the KG thing is fascinating because KG is so high motored. Like I think he's twitchier, obviously, but size wise, I think 
I think Chet's a little taller. I mean, yeah, Chet's like Garnett ended up being about six eleven, seven foot. Um, that is an interesting comparison. I think Chet's a better shooter, but you know, playing in a different time. Um, really, really fascinating. I, I but we're we're definitely in agreement on that one. Uh, I think before we we really want to start talking about like where these players fit though. And I think before we do that, uh, we're going to do that our next segment, but before we go on and talk about fit and how the lottery kind of played out, how we think uh, teams will be thinking about their future. uh, We're going to take a break. This episode is supported by state farm, man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have state farm. And now that I do have state farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Okay, so the Draft Lottery Show... Always an entertaining event. Um, what's your? Do you have a favorite like draft lottery moment of all time, like from the show, or do you even have any? Oh, I mean, I remember we did like a ringer show the year Luca went to the Mavs. That was really exciting. Obviously, I remember me and Gallagher was that just the freaking out. I guess that was the actual was draft. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember watching that. Yeah, you guys lost your mind. I was going to say my my favorite like lottery show moment ever is uh, when Jerry West. Realized he wasn't going to get the number oh. one pick on TV. Yeah. He licked his lips. I would encourage people to go find that clip. It's incredible. He his soul died on national television. But Orlando gets the number one pick. Um, big big time for them. Orlando is a team that uh, has some pieces. Uh, they have some pieces that could be made. Sort of um, depending on what they choose to do, uh, they could be freed up to kind of have some flexibility with guys that they already have. Um, who do you think that they should take number one? I think I know the answer to this. Well, well, before we do that, let's describe where do you think Orlando is as a team? What do you think's nailed down for them in terms of like who who should they keep um, in terms of who's on the roster right now? That's a tough question. They've got, because they're in this weird boat where they've collected a lot of assets, a lot of young players, but it's not really clear how all those guys fit together or who should be in what roles or what the pecking order even is. Right now, it just feels like a big kind of grab bag of players. And I also, I got to say, you skipped over this part. That was an excellent transition out of the last break. You've been working on your transitions in the last few months, I can tell. So much respect to you, Kyle. Over dinner the other night, my wife goes, you're a more focused conversationalist. I don't know what's happened. I was like, yeah. 
Thanks, it's man. called segways. <laughs> so let me segue into this. <laughs> anyway, yes. So looking at looking at their roster, I mean, obviously, I think I think a huge thing for them. Um, we always joke about fit. You know, if you suck, I don't want to hear about fit. You need to just figure out what's going. You need to get your core pieces in order first. I mean, I, w- I would say Franz, dis- A, being as good as he was, B, having the versatility. I think that that was a major pivot moment for the Magic when Franz comes in and shows that not only, because we were talking about him in the draft as Franz is going to be a spot-up guy. He's going to be able to defend multiple positions. He's a great cutter, as we've said. A lot of sort of um, complimentary conversation about he, that he's going to complement what they have. His ability to go on ball some, I think, is huge for them. For sure. I mean, he was one of the big surprises of the draft. But it kind of balances out Jalen Suggs, who had a very up-and-down year. Kind of everyone was expecting Suggs to be kind of the big star in Franz to be the complimentary type. But it almost feels like it switched this year, whereas Franz really showed more star ability. And Suggs kind of wound up in this like weird hybrid role where he like plays defense, junks up the game, but the shot's not really there. He didn't play on the ball very much. There was the whole Cole Anthony thing. I think for Orlando, where it really starts, and what I've really just like, fundamentally, who's your number one option? Do you have that player on the team? And if you don't, who's it going to be? Like, I think that's what every team at the top of the lottery has to ask themselves. I love Franz. I think he's fantastic. Is he your number one option? Because I think that's where the Paolo piece of this whole thing comes into play. We kind of talked a ton about Jabari and Chet. And as far as I can tell, that's been like framed as the main question but I think Paolo has legitimate case to be the number one pick because of that. Like, I think Paolo was the most obvious primary option of the bunch right away. Yes. And I think similar to Franz, I think we saw flashes of self-awareness in a way that like Paolo has offensive versatility. We saw him throughout the year, you know, dabble with like dribble pull-up shooting, which I think is going to be big for Orlando's offense. There's a big, there's a big lack of scoring threat at the center of their offense, in my opinion, that's consistent because uh, they were 30th in offensive rating this past year. They were 28th in three-point percentage. They're a team that passes the ball a lot, but passing for passing sake uh, doesn't always get you anywhere. They need more shooting. They need more. They just need more respect throughout. I think Paolo is a guy that could grow into that. I could see why. I could see why with the pieces that they have, they would think about going to Jabari because he's somebody that I think uh, I had a stat pulled up here. Jabari this past year uh, was a 58.8% three point shooter in pick and pop situations, which I think Oof. could be huge for the guys that they have. That's not a big sample, but he can shoot them with momentum. He can shoot them without momentum. I really could see that helping out Suggs and Cole Anthony. Yeah. And that goes back to like, we're talking about it's the guys you have, Complimenting the guys you have versus are the guys you have going to compliment someone else is like what it comes down to. Because you yeah, you look at this roster, there's not a lot of plus shooting on this roster right now. For as great as Franz was, he only took three and a half threes. Suggs obviously couldn't buy a basket from three to save his life this year. Cole Anthony, not a great outside shooter. I mean, he really, like, Mo Bamba might have been one of their best outside shooters. He might not be on the roster next season. There's not a lot of shooting or shot creation on this roster. Yeah, and like, yes, Jabari Smith is the plug and play. 
everybody else, like that's the selling point of Jabari is you can keep everybody else in their same roles and have Jabari stretch the court for them. The question is, do you want everybody else in their same roles? Does that even matter, right, ultimately, given the current state of their roster? Yeah, I think sometimes you have to be quick. We've talked about this in the past. You have to be ready to start over. You have to be ready to fail fast in terms of um, the comparison I always make is uh, Bananagrams, that like freestyle Scrabble game. Yeah, yeah. You ever played that? For sure. Well, Meg and I are both really good at that game and at family functions. Humble brag. But the re... Well, no, it's a flat-out brag. We're really good. But the reason we, we're good at it is we're willing to start over quickly. And you'll notice people who it's the sunk cause fallacy, basically. They're like, okay, we have all these pieces. We need to make them work. It's like, no, I think you need to be more willing to start over if the best piece is available. And we see this. This is something we didn't talk about with the number one pick. But we see this over and over again with teams that have good pieces but there's a great piece on the board, and they're like, that doesn't fit with our good piece. We saw that with the Kings. We saw that with the Suns. They're like, no, p- take the great piece because the great pieces are so hard to get. I don't know. I'm, I don't know how convinced I am that there's like a great center of an offense for sure type player like that in this draft. But I, I just don't know about the guard combo. I guess is kind of what I'm working my way towards saying here. Like the 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 Anthony Suggs thing, and then you think about Gary Harris. That trio, I would think about. Uh, figuring out some kind of move for that. Do you think there's a market for like good teams out there that might be after some of these players on this roster that that, that Orlando has? You think you expect them to make moves on that front? I mean, I think I wouldn't even put Harris they got in that trade for Gordon. I'm not sure he's yeah. a long term piece for them, anyways. Um, yeah, it's really about Cole Anthony because that's what last year was. It was Cole Anthony's team, and Cole Anthony the way the way Anthony plays, he's just very. He's always been a very ball-dominant point guard. He's always been super aggressive. He's a guy who likes to take a lot of shots. He's a, he's a very skilled player, very physical. It's just a matter of, can Cole Anthony be a number two? If he's your number one, are you pretty much putting a big cap on yourself? Do you really want to build around Cole Anthony? That was always been the question about him going back to college, right? It was like that whole situation. It's like, can he be a complimentary piece or does he have to be the big dog. And I think that really hurt Suggs in a lot of ways too, because Suggs kind of had to play off Cole Anthony. And then of course, Suggs couldn't. And that was, I think, one of the the biggest things of the year really was just Suggs. I still believe he shot, he shot free throws pretty well. I think there is a good shot in there, but it just, he just never really got a good rhythm with playing with Anthony. It felt like that always was kind of a, mix, a tough, a tough balance. Well, that's what you're talking about when you're talking about Orlando offensively is is rhythm. It's and they don't have anything consistent, and it's hard to get into rhythm if you can't hit shots. And then if you can't hit shots, your your uh, the your opponents are in transition a lot. Just a vicious vicious cycle. I mean, this past year, his yeah, thirty three point eight percent from three, you know, two point six turnovers. Uh, he his assist rate has been better than what I thought. But anyway, my my ultimate point there is I don't know that I love that combo there. I was I was curious to ask you. Before we move on to these other picks, um, what about John Isaac? Do you think that there's a team out there that might make a run at John Isaac? He's the guy, he's the piece that's just kind of sitting there that I think could really, I think he could help a, a team that you root for in particular. I'd be really fast. I don't know how you can make it work, but um, John Isaac, interesting player. I mean, love Jonathan Isaac. I've always been a huge fan. It's just tough right now. He hasn't played in two seasons. And then even when he played, he got hurt in the bubble. It's been two years since then. He hasn't played at all. And even that bubble year, he was hurt a lot before he got hurt the final time. And before the bubble, he got hurt too in that 
in the first part of that season. So we're talking about almost three years of just injuries. I think he's crazy. I've always loved his game, but right now he's just kind of a incomplete. I would guess, I would bet some team would be willing to buy super low on him. I think if you're Orlando, it'd be hard to trade him now because you invested so much in him and you'd get so little return given the injury history. But I think before we get off Orlando's, a couple, one other point I think is just so interesting. And this is, I, I love that they got number one for many reasons. Shout out our boy, Kevin Clark, obviously, at Ringer's Zone. Steve Cerruti. Orlando yeah. Magic and Steve Cerruti. We got a lot of Orlando Magic super fans, so happy for them. But I just think it's so fascinating of all the teams to get number one. So the story with Orlando, they were originally as John Hammonds, and I forget the other guy's name, Weltman or Weitzman. They came from yeah. Milwaukee. And they were the guys who drafted like John Henson, Larry Sanders, and then famously they drafted Giannis. It was always, we're the length team. We're going to draft length over everything else. This, this is like the skeleton key to building a great team is prioritizing length. That was their ML in Milwaukee. Obviously, it worked out in the end. They come to Orlando, and their first lottery pick was Mo Bamba. And that was a pure length pick. And now, like three years later, they have their one, they had a couple, you know, playoff teams. They rebuild again. They're at the top of the draft. Do they go with length? Do they go with Chet? And it's almost like a, it's almost what's the word like poetic in a sense. We're talking about this, like, you got this far. Now, do you trust your principles and the biggest decision you'll ever make in your job, right? Or having got yeah. this far, do you go away from your principles? Do you overlearn, in my opinion, my, my thought is if they don't draft Chet, it's because they overlearned the Mo Bamba thing. And they said, you know what, that didn't work for us. Time to change. But I almost feel like if they don't do it now, it's like they're going to be hit coming and going at that point. If they, if they go away from length, after, after picking length all this time, now with everything on the line, do you stick to your principles? Yeah. It, I mean, Chet obviously... I guess my takeaway for you, that's an interesting posit there, thinking about like sticking with your principles at the most critical. I, it almost, we were joking, it almost sounds like a, mo like a movie script kind of concept. It's almost like a, like a, a journey of, of, of uh, philosophy there. Um, if you'll stick or, or will you hold strong. Um, if there was something compelling enough, I think, to make me zag away from it, the, the problem is that it's a little hazy, I think. Let's, let's put it this way. If they're picking the best fit for what they have right now, I feel like we probably agree that it's Jabari. That's the easiest thing, I would say. Um, but if they if they take Chet, I think it frees them up to make some personnel decisions. Like they don't have to hang on to Isaac. Maybe they don't have to hang on to Bamba. I think he helps them with their playmaking, his spacing. Chet could play next to a big. Chet is going to... He's not... He's somebody that's versatile. You know, you can plug him into a lot of defensive roles. He can kind of play as sort of a, a pseudo big wing. I still think that they should take Chet. Do you think that Chet is probably the best pick for them? I would say Chet's the best pick for everyone. But I do think yeah. there's a case for Paolo. And I think if yeah. I was Orlando, I would look at it like Franz, I think, is a building block. I like some of their other players. But the only player I'm going to really worry about right now is Franz. And I think what makes Franz so great is he can fit with anyone. So to me, that oh, yeah. means you take the best player and that's who I think it'd be Chad personally. All right. Let's uh let's move on to OKC, a team that is very interesting. I mean OKC is uh they've been in this sort of tank cycle here. 
Uh, two main pieces. What what are the core pieces we agree on here? I think Giddy and Shea, obviously Poku franchise player, I think <laughs> should be there near the top. Uh, <laughs> where, where where would you say OKC is if we had to give like a really quick rapid fire State of the Union um, for the for the OKC Thunder? Well, I mean, I think this is their second year tanking, right? And they have two main pieces, and that's SGA and Giddy. And I think a lot of it goes back to the video you did earlier this season talking about the two weirdos of OKC. And I'm curious for you, like, how do you see those two players fitting together? And do you think, I think they're in the same kind of boat. I think all these teams at the top of the draft are in the same question. Do we have our number one? And then if we don't, do we go for a number one or do we complement the pieces we already have? And how do you think there's a number one OKC right now? And how do you see SJ and Giddy long-term as a combo or with adding one of these other guys as a third piece? They're a tough combo because of the shooting. I think that the shooting and the movement shooting in particular, I think there are certain ways that they would be forced to play that are going to come to a pain point if they get into a playoff series with these guys, which is, I cannot emphasize enough, a long way away. (laughs) But I think... um, if the if the, same kind of thinking we were going on with the magic, if they were th- going to take something, I think this tandem can work together. I think Dort complicates it a little more too. If they want to keep him or send him somewhere, the three of them together, um, they really, really sorely need to be balanced if they're going to work by like ball skills in the front court. And I think that you know, I think OKC is in an interesting situation here where they kind of can't lose at number two. Like I, th- I think that they. Let's say Jabari does go number one. They're going to be picking between two guys that I think could really help their team in the short term. I think that Paolo could work because of like the deferential kind of attitude that we saw in the tournament. We saw it over. It wasn't just in the tournament. It was over the course of the second half of the season. We saw him getting off the ball better. I think that he would be somebody that could you could start to do like kind of cutting actions with those two. Um, but I really. Uh, I don't know. I I, kind of go back and forth between Paolo or Chet here, but I really think that Chet could help out OKC in the short term. And the fact that he'll space, I think he'll be really good defensively. They're going to be really long. Um, I don't know that they have, to answer your question though, I don't know that they have their main guy yet. Do you think so? Because Shea, as we've heard, is Shea somebody that's long for OKC? I mean, I don't, there was obviously those rumors last year, right? There were all the rumors about them trying to package Shea to get up in the top of the draft, to possibly take a Mobley or a Cade. That didn't happen. And it does make you wonder, right? Because they have Shea and they draft Giddy, who does compliment him in some ways, but in other ways he doesn't because Giddy needs the ball, is not really a shooter, right? So with those two in place, and I think that's what makes it so interesting for them, a couple different things. One, right, Jabari, once again, I think this will be a common theme is Jabari's the cleanest fit, right? Jabari creates space for Shea and Giddy. He gives you a more versatile defensive piece around them. And he like, he lets those, though he lets especially Shea go to the basket, which is Shea's biggest skill. He creates a shooter for Giddy to create shots for, which is Giddy's biggest skill. But then I think that once again goes back to, well, Jabari's complimenting these guys, but are these guys your stars? I mean, this is a franchise that had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden all at the same time. This is a franchise that was defined by star power, had Paul George too, right? Has always been defined by star power. 
and pretty explicitly process to get more star power? Do they go for... That's why I think it would be so interesting if Chet did go one, is the Paolo versus Jabari piece. Because I'm not sure, like, do you think Paolo... Would he compliment Shea and Giddy? Because he's also not a three-point shooter, really. Paolo's also a go-to-the-basket mid-range guy. So now you've got three guys who aren't really three-point shooters. Yeah, I could see their offense becoming pretty muddled. I mean, I think his shooting upside is 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 there. I mean, I think we've seen it. I don't, I don't think it's broken. Um, the playmaking part of it, I think, is interesting. You could run him in, like, post situations. Jabari would, we talked about this on another show, Jabari would just absolutely feast playing next to these two guys. I mean, yeah. it, it's there's no question about it. But I, I don't think, it's it's the thing we keep circling back to. I don't know that Paolo's like primary upside is high enough to make me pass on Chet in this situation. Uh, because I think if you took Chet, of course, I don't want to like talk about every single team and we're just like, yeah, well, Chet, 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 Chet's the guy you should take. Uh, he may not be there. Um I just think that uh, Chet could, it's the same kind of thing. If they take him, that might make, does the giddy Chet dynamic work well? And if you're, or you start talking about what you could get for Shea, all of this kind of makes me think about like what Shea, what Shea's value is across the league. You know, do we still see, where do we see him in, in terms of like what, what role is he on like a good playoff team? Is he like a third best player, second best player? I think for sure he's a second best player. Imagine Shea in a Jalen yeah. Brunson role. He'd be dominant. Right, like playing with Luca, getting his own shot, running the second unit, and then giving defensive versatility. I would, oh my gosh, getting Shea in Dallas, I would be like, I'll drive that man myself. I'll go up there right now, I'll drive him back down to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I think my it's name's like, John. I'm here to pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get in a covered wagon. I don't care. But like, I, I guess ultimately, right, the question is, is like the playmaking. He's such a great slasher. He's not a great shooter. How much of a playmaker is he? And that's what I wonder with the giddy selection is what was that like a hedge against Shea? Or was I just taking the high upside pick? And with OKC, then you wonder too, there's such a closed operation, right? Nobody had the giddy thing coming. And we've been talking all this time, Chet, Paolo, Jabari. I feel like off the top, OKC could do anything, right? If there's a team willing to go outside the consensus, it's probably them at two. Yeah, and who would that even be? I think that's something that we kind of wanted to talk about was, is there who's the primest candidate to leapfrog one of these guys? Because it feels pretty impenetrable at the top. Like, it does feel like there's a pretty big drop-off. There are people that have differing opinions about, like, the star upside of Shaden Sharp. I think, I think the star upside of Shaden Sharp is one of the bigger questions of the draft that could potentially disrupt that, that top three. Uh, I am softer on that right now. I don't want to spoil anything that I that I'm working on right now, but I am working on something on on Sh- Shaden. Does Jaden Ivy is he somebody that could maybe potentially leap into this conversation for them? I mean, I don't think for uh, for OKC, I don't think so. I think it's more of a conversation about the Rockets, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, let's let's just wrap up the OKC talk here, though. But but first, you you asked a good question. How long? Can, all of these kind of questions, they're not close. They're really not close. They're close to maybe being fun, potentially, which isn't the same thing as good, as much as we love it. Um, how, how much longer in their process do you think that they can keep tanking? Now, like, how much longer do you think their fans will put up with it? Well, I mean, we do have the Oklahoma City fan on staff now. So we might have to ask uh, your friend, everyone's friend, the third eye himself, Tyler Parker. We'll have to get him on maybe to talk about that. <laughs> the third eye. The third yeah. eye. <laughs> my my guess would well, be like no, I mean, one I, more year. 
would be my guess, but I don't yeah. have any kind of. They were hanging. Uh, I'm not talking. They were hanging on. I, there's also like the contracts conversation, like strategically, how much longer can they do this based on what they have? There's all that. But like, if you look at the way they needed to get a high pick this year after whiffing on it last year, um, same kind of thing. I could see I could see Paolo fitting here really well with what they with what they had the existing pieces. Jabari, same kind of thing. Let's move on to the Houston Rockets. Okay, but a little real quick, more of though, a blank. I think. Yeah, we'll put a pin because I think you brought up Shaden Sharp and Jaden Ivy, and it's like it's probably too late in the pod to get into that. But they are the two wild cards, especially Shaden Sharp. We will have to get back to him. Kentucky legend Shaden Sharp, Kentucky Benedict Arnold Shaden Sharp. We'll get into all that at some point in the near future. I just wanted to put a pin in that. He's going to be a legend, but maybe just not for the reasons that uh, <laughs> the typical reasons. He's definitely a legend, man. Uh, so the Houston Rockets, we have friends that work for the Houston Rockets. Um, we both kind of agree that they didn't really... This might be controversial to some. I We both kind of feel like maybe they didn't make the right pick last year when they took Jalen Green over. You know, it's all personal philosophy. Green Green's going to have a good career, maybe a great career. Blank First Canvas off, friend of, the, friend of the ringer, Jalen Green. Shout out. <laughs> yes. Newly made friend of the ringer. People go check that out. Um, <laughs> where is Houston right now? They've got picks at three. They've got picks at 17. Uh, you could argue that they're they're in a pretty good spot here. That like the player you end up with, they may not have, they may not feel the pressure of picking someone who is, uh, you know, high upside versus fit. They get to just pick whoever's there and not really worry about it. Um, wh- where do they where do they fit here in terms of the landscape of the NBA? They seem pretty far away from for me. Uh, I mean, like Jalen Green is obviously the guy that they're building around. How do they do that with the guys that are at the top here? Who's who's the most ready to who, who could who could enhance what Jalen Green does the most at the top of this draft? Well, I think this is why I was bringing up with OKC in terms of breaking the mold and going outside of the top three at two, because I think Houston's in a very weird position where I just don't see how they could draft Shaden Sharp or Jaden Ivey after taking Green last year at two. I think that kind of boxes them in a little bit. Because Houston's also in a weird position. After this year, they don't have their pick for, I believe, a couple years, right? OKC's got their picks going forward based on the Westbrook-Paul trade with like swaps yeah. and such. So, A, Houston, I would say, you kind of asked earlier who most needed to move up. It was probably Houston. And they've gotten very, very lucky that they moved up in the two years they could move up in between not having their picks. So next year... Even if they moved up, they'd lose their pick. So they got two last year, three this year. This is going to be their team. Those two picks ultimately will be their team. My suspicion is they'll just have to take the big who's left. If the if the board goes how we all think, and there's some combination of the top three going, Chet, Jabari, Paolo going one or two, the third guy just falls to Houston. My question is, is your boy, KOC's boy, Draft Twitter's boy, Alperin Shengun, does he play into this? Because that would be my concern a little bit. Let's say Paolo's there at three. Could you do a Shengun Paolo front court? Would that even make sense? Or did you say draft the best talent, don't even worry about it? Uh, defensively, that, w- that would worry me. Uh, I, I would, because Paolo, as we've talked about, there was um, a lot of discussion, I think, among the college landscape about like when you're game planning, 
Um, that Paolo is can be a disinterested defensive player, which at 19 years old, a lot of guys are. Um, I think he has a lot of work to do in that area. In terms of how he would fit, I mean, you're prioritizing Green above Shingun, as cool as Shingun is, as a piece that you got him where you got him. Um, guys that I think could fit with him, I, I think that the Green Paolo thing is interesting. A Green Paolo pick and roll, I think, is interesting. I think that that could open up some playmaking possibilities for you. Um, I think that. The Chet Shingun thing is really interesting, but Chet's just not going to be there. I I would be shocked. He might Chet's be. Gonna be there. It, it's it's possible for sure. It's definitely possible. Much as we like disagree, he he helps. I mean, I don't have any intel on that. I mean, I think Chet really helps the Rockets in a way. I think that he would thrust them forward in a way that he wouldn't the other teams. Like I think that he could be something that could sort of um, be a support net for what they have existing on their team. And they're guys that like need the ball. We've seen that he'll do that. We'll see that he's a diligent switchable defender. I think he would help out Shingun. They need defense. They need three point shooting. Um, I don't think that he's going to be there, but I think that would be an amazing pick for them. I guess like Paolo or Jabari for the Rockets is the question. Um, who helps them more in the short term? I think it's probably Jabari. Um, Jabari defensively is obviously ahead of Paolo. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we'd both agree, right? Of those top three, Paolo's the worst defensively, right? Yeah. For sure. And I think with Jalen Green, the big question, the question I'm not sure there's an answer for, and this is why I personally wouldn't have taken him at two, is I think my guess would be Jalen Green's best role is kind of in that Booker-Levine get buckets, secondary playmaker role. I, that's my initial read on it. But at number two last year, I think if you draft a guy that high, you've got to give him the ball. And that was what I didn't quite get with the whole Kevin Porter thing was, mm-hmm. and I, I'm curious what you think, could Jalen Green just be the point guard? And would that, would that work? Or is he better in a kind of hybrid on-off? That, that to me is the number one question. Is Jalen Green a point guard? Could that work as him as a primary ball handler? I think whenever you have a player like that, that's the goal. Ideally, you could put him in a situation to, you know, use his gravity to create looks, like because he's a three-level scorer. We've seen that. He gets to the rim for as skinny as he is. Um, he can make, take, and make tough shots. I think you end up in a in a situation where they're probably better off if you put them with a playmaker. I think that's even like a primary ball handler who likes to score is probably better off with with a passing player. You know, Booker with CP3. Um, you know, Levine and, and DeRozan, you can even do it with like a three-headed monster sometimes with like De- DeRozan, Levine, and then Lonzo when he's healthy. I think that's Ooh. the best way to go. I just had the a Celtics thought, like, are a team that has has kind of had to try to figure that out too. They have three wings that are scored that probably could have the ball. Go ahead. Do you see Green as a, J- as a Jamal Murray type? Is that who Jalen Green ultimately is? Uh, I think that... Yeah, I mean he's that he's in that mold. I think that he's there are different types of players, obviously. He's not the movement shooter, I don't think that like I don't think you could use him like as like a high volume, really efficient movement shooter in the same way Murray is, but he's also, you know, way more athletic, way more like getting to the basket, creativity, things like that. Um yeah, I mean, ideally you put you put Jalen with a guy who can sort of support him and feed into him with this playmaking. I think Paolo is Fits that best description. I mean, Chet, obviously, too, the different ways that you could use him. Um, I mean, Shangun, right, too, right? Yeah. We were talking about sort of like wings in this draft, too, that like could like complement green. I think like switchable guys that can hit shots, guys that are comfortable being like lower touch time and can pass the ball. 
Uh, just a couple quick ones. Jalen Green or Jalen Williams. There are two Jalen Williams in this draft from Santa Clara. That's a name people should look out for. He's like a six-six wing who has shown some like facilitating ability. Wendell Moore is another guy in the absence of like a point guard throughout the year. I know Jeremy Roach kind of came around, but um, Wendell Moore is somebody that I could see them picking up and helping their team because he guards multiple positions. Um, yeah, those are just two guys. Houston, I don't think can lose though. I, th- I think that they're going to end up with a good player at three, so that's kind of working out for them. And in a year where these guys otherwise might have gone higher, the top three is pretty, pretty solid for them. So, uh, anything else about Houston? I would say, yeah. To me, it all goes back to Green. Do you want playmaking around him, or do you emphasize defense? Do you feel like you have enough playmaking with Green and Shangun, or do you say Green's a number two? get a number one. I, I think those are all the questions they have to answer. And I'm, I'm not even sure what their answer would be. Like, I'm just, I'm curious to see reveal. It'll be revealed in this draft. I think ultimately, I think it will be revealed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just uh, anything else about the, the draft? I know we were, um, I wanted to ask you if like really quickly, I'm sure we could, you know, do a whole pod about this. Anything on your mind about like the playoff teams that are left? Do they reveal anything about how teams should be thinking about the draft, in your opinion? Well, the first thing I thought of, as I know, as ever, just to go back to more pro Chet talk, is you look at the Western playoffs, and for all the talk about how, okay, Chet's too skinny to play the five, the Mavs beat Rudy Gobert, and they beat DeAndre Ayton by going small. That was the key to beating both those teams. They played Dwight Powell barely at all. A lot of Maxi Kleba at the five. Some huge Dorian Finney-Smith at the five minutes. For as much as we want to move back to the bigs, the Ma- and then the Warriors, they're playing Kavon Looney and Draymond Green at the five. They don't even have a seven-footer on their roster besides Wiseman, who does, who's been injured all season. I don't see, to yeah. me, I look at like the Western Conference playoffs at the very least. I don't see any reason Chet couldn't have played five for the Mavs in most of these series or the Warriors for that matter. So that, that's something that's about to jumped out at me quickly. What is it though, about those teams that like helps other than the shooting, like defensively, why is, why is Dallas able, have they been able to get away with Dorian Finney Smith at the five? What is it uniquely about him defensively that allows them to do that? And, and do we see that in any guys in the draft? Well, I mean, I don't know anything unique about it. He's just a six, eight, really strong switchable guy with three point ability and the Mavs spread out eight and, spread out Gobert. Neither one of those guys really wanted to get out that far from the basket. And even Aiden, as good as he is, he couldn't really punish the Mavs inside when it mattered. All right, that was the big thing. Yeah. And that was the big thing last year was Aiden was able to beat the Clippers when it mattered, when they went small against them. He kept Zubac in. But this year, Jason Kidd just said, no, I don't believe in this guy. I think we can. And of course, Aiden played 17 minutes in game seven. And then you so you, you and you look at the East too. I mean, really, Boston went through Giannis. Boston basically said we're going to give Giannis forty points and beat everybody else. There's still like those seven footers who really matter. There's like three of them right now in the league, and so I don't know. Like that to me from these playoffs, right? Bam six nine at center, Horford six ten. Mavs and Warriors are even smaller. I mean, that, that, that's what jumps out at me. And then, of course, the other thing, of course, is just wings, as always. Perimeter defense. I think for Dallas, the hidden, the hidden part for Dallas this year is that they had two perimeter stoppers. So, like, last year's team, 
Their second best perimeter stopper was Tim Hardaway Jr. Now it's Reggie Bullock. Like that was a huge difference. Versatile wings, as always. Yeah, yeah. And you you said that the the three bigs that matter. I assume you're mean like like Giannis, AD when he's healthy, and Nevin Mobley. Are those the three guys <laughs> nice. that you're thinking of? <laughs> well, no, well, I'm serious. No, you're I talking about like, the guys. We're we're talking about guys who can play multiple coverages and not be played off the floor. Basically, yeah. they can and they can I, be I would switchable. Say too, like Jokic and Embiid, like they dictate. They're big enough that they dictate the matchups a little bit, and you have to match up with them size wise. How about for you? What what was your takeaway from the playoffs so far in terms of the draft? A lot of what you said. I, I think people talk about like movements and things, and they're like, you know, well, the NBA's this way based on the way this went. It's like, no, I mean, like the results are telling us are misleading because the teams that have those big guys, I think have had like personnel issues around them that have kind of like Embiid obviously is a dominant big guy. If he got a better roster around him, I think that they'll figure that out. Jokic kind of the same thing. AD hasn't been healthy. You know, Mobley's team's just not ready to get there yet. Um, but, and also like death of heliocentrism. I know people were talking about that. They're like, Oh, it's like, yeah, that's easy to think if you don't have Luca on your team. Um, anyway, uh, same kind of thing, perimeter depth. I wanted to t- say really quick, just the, the combine. There were a couple interesting things here. You got Tari Eason, man, eleven inch ha- wide hands, pretty incredible. Those are some freaking mitts. You excited? How high do you have Eason? TBD, but we'll get back to him. That's a guy we will be discussing in later pods, which which I guess yes. we should mention too. We're not we're not really sure what the plan is right now, but we will be doing more. Maybe some stuff with KOC, but stay tuned to the Ringer MBO show feed, and we're gonna we'll be back at some point for sure. Yes, yes, that's a good that's a good uh, t- uh, spot to to tie the bow. John, it's good to see you, man. I enjoy having these conversations with you. We're gonna circle back and just kind of move. I know this was kind of the top. We'll get into some more of the nuance, and we both agree on Chet. I know we just kind of circle back to that all, all over and over again that we both really are believers in him, probably. And I'm not going to act like we were early or unique in that way, but I think we've kind of been, we've been there. I wobbled a little bit in, in February, March and thought about Paolo, but we both are kind of pretty solidified on Chet. I've, I've, I've really refined this and I'm, I'm pretty stable where I am on it. Yeah. And shout out to your piece real quick. Cause that was a great piece. Came out last week, right? Yes. Yes. Check that out on the ringer.com and more stuff is going to be coming more. Pods. How many words was it? Stay- it was very long. It's like six thousand. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, my videos are are pretty exhaustive, and they're only like <laughs> two or three thousand usually. This was like when I'm writing, I'm just like, no, nah, it's all staying in. Here we go. Uh, Verrier likes to cut my wild metaphors. We'll, oh, so we'll what talk, was the rough we'll draft? How many words was the original? <laughs> no, it was it was around the same. We just kind of retooled a lot of things, but uh, it was great. I like I love working with Justin. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, check it out and keep an eye on it. And the Ringer, we're just going to be ramping up the draft coverage on all of our pods. Written stuff on the site from me, from John. I assume you're going to be you're going to do a little bit of writing, possibly. I'm a TBD. I might get some pro chat propaganda out there. TBD. We love whatever we get from you. And you and, said and you're, just, got, you're going to do a video on Shaden Sharp. Is that right? I'm, I wasn't, didn't say it directly, but yes, I'm working on that right now. So stay tuned for that. A lot of interesting kind of revelations in there. And uh, it's good. Uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Good to see you, John. Yeah. And I just also, I mean, I wanted to shout out. I got so much feedback from the last pod we did. Honestly, too much to respond to. So I'm very grateful, very touched by all the folks who reached out to me, have been praying for me. It means a lot, and I'm just I'm very thankful for that. And all the folks listening, it means a lot. Definitely, definitely, and keep sending those those vibes and prayers and thoughts to to John. And uh, we're pulling for you, buddy. I'll see you uh, see you next time around. All right, cool. <laughs>